Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a marvelous piece of uh, symbolism in the church, and that is of the church as a ship. Church is a rescue vessel. Church is a boat. Some churches even have architecture like that. You, you look up and you go, what in the world? Why is it this way? And then if you were to kind of tip the whole thing, it would look like a boat. And I think that's kind of cool. I'm not sure if you tip this, what it would look like, but it would be a pretty good sized boat. And St. John's is a pretty good sized boat and has been for a long, long time. Yesterday, I came up to do a couple things and I'm reminded of the breadth of ministry. Over in the auditorium right now, the auditorium is going bonkers with young people singing. If you're wondering where all the babies are and all the people between the ages of about 25 and 40, they're all over there going berserk. That's their side of the ship, and you're here with, you know, my friend says that's hippie church, this is our church. So I can live with that. I live and let live, right? So I can live with that. Last night, we welcomed the Salt Mine Church onto our campus. Salt Mine is led by Pastor Peter Shambrook. Pete's been a friend of mine for 25 years. It's an evangelical church with the bond passed in the city of Orange. They started, uh, they, they had been at Orange High in the little auditorium and in the cafeteria and they were, uh, have to leave. And so Pete, who has an Australian accent because he's from Australia, he said, uh, hey mate, can we talk? And I have like 200 text messages that end in the word mate. He must have a macro, the dot mate, dot mate, dot mate. I said, well, let's talk about it. So Randy Einem got with them and we worshiped with them last night. About 200 people in our auditorium at six o'clock, praising God. It's marvelous that a church like ours that has so much bandwidth, so much capability, can have 2,000 people reach through Vacation Bible Study, through Vacation Bible School, and reach another 300 last night, plus the 70 were that were at Celebrate Recovery. People standing around tables with their hands in the air praising God. We have the ability to do that, so we should. We have the ability to reach out, so we should. And we're good about that. Then I came into the sanctuary here and Mike Robinson and Don Pargy were finishing up the 6.30 service at about 7.30. Pastor Nathan preached last night. He's going to preach again at 11. And, and I'm reminded that people seek refuge in the church. Whether it's a church that's been displaced, a congregation that's been displaced, that's looking for an opportunity to have a place to put their roots down and we can say we got that or or a family's looking for a place for a vacation Bible school, just a, a, a place that in the summer they can kind of say, go there for four hours, and we say, we got this. Or people struggling with their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, they, they can gather here in a safe place, in a safe community, and find calm in the midst of the storm that is addiction in their lives. That's what we do. That's who we are. It's not what we do. It, it's who we are. That's it, what we're all about and what we should be about. And it's an honor to be a part of a ministry like that for a long time. It seems to me that when the boat is as big and strong as St. John's is, we have responsibility bigger and grander than, than to take care of ourselves. 
But that idea of the storm leads us right into the text for today from Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. They're all out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had been out doing his thing. Preaching, teaching, leading, healing, casting out demons. Jesus is doing all the stuff that he was supposed to do, and he was tired. I don't know how much energy it takes to cast out a demon, but I'm assuming it's a lot. I don't know how much energy it takes to heal a paralytic, but I imagine it's a lot. I do know how much energy it takes to preach on a Sunday morning, and I sleep pretty good from about 1.30 to 3 o'clock. It just is what it is. And the Sea of Galilee is kind of interesting. I've never been there. Someday I'll get there. I've been to Germany, though, so that's good. Um, <laughs> the Sea of Galilee isn't the land of Luther. It's the land of Jesus, and that's a good thing. But the way the geography works in the Sea of Galilee is it, it, the, the, the sea is like a bowl. And when the wind comes out of the mountains and the colder air, especially from the snow-capped mountain tops, it whooshes all that water up and swirls it around. And so as I researched and looked, the storms come up very quickly and they can be very, very violent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go fishing and I hang out and I'm in a boat, that boat, that fishing boat sits deep in the Minnesota lake, which isn't very deep typically. And, and when the weather looks bad, you hit the starter on the boat, you put the hammer down on the 100 horse Merc and you get to where you got to be right away. Now, the boat that the disciples were in probably looked a little less like a boat that could handle a 100 horse Merc and... Maybe one that could handle five to seven guys in it. So when the storm came up, they weren't deep in the water. When the storm came up, the sail went down, and they were at the mercy of the wind and the waves. And the storm must have been horrible in Mark chapter 5, because even the disciples were afraid. And these are fishermen, Peter and James and John. This wasn't unfamiliar territory for them. They probably put out from the port at Capernaum and, and, and went over to the Decapolis, to the northeast side of the, of the lake, just to get away from people. And now with the boats and the water, they were afraid. That's Rembrandt's version of it. Painted in 1633. I got a little better perspective of what maybe the wind was like, even though we all know Rembrandt wasn't there. But the fear that he painted in the faces of the, of the disciples and the way that the boat is almost lifted out of the water, I can see where they were afraid. Because there's nothing more out of control than being on a ship in a storm and knowing that there's only one way to go and that way is down. But not for Jesus. Jesus was asleep, fast asleep. On a cushion in the front of the boat, just kind of hanging out. Reminded that the Son of God and the Son of Man, 100% divine, 100% human, Jesus got his nap after he preached as well. But you would have thought there had been a little urgency that, that, that somehow Jesus would have woken up. Or maybe as the Son of God, he would have had a vision of this and, and he would have got with it a little faster so that everyone didn't have to be so put out and so afraid. That maybe Jesus would have said, hey, this is going on. These guys have been through a lot. It's been a rough couple weeks. Everyone was ticked off here at Capernaum. And, uh, and you know, the Pharisees, they're all chewing on us. So I'm out. Turn off the wind. Turn off the wave. We're going to sit in the middle of the thing. And by the way, when we get to land, I'm going to make sure we got some nice big fish for breakfast. But... But the disciples went through what we go through, or maybe what I go through. Maybe I'm the only one, but I don't think so. Sometimes it seems that Jesus is fast asleep at the wheel of my life. 
Got a lot going on, Lord. Deep water's underneath me, wind from each side. I got a lot going on. And you're sleeping through it all. I'm trying to raise kids in Orange County in 2018. And Lord, I don't have all the wisdom and all the resources and all the things I need. Are you asleep? Because the waves are big and the fear is real. Lord, what's going on at the border? Are you asleep? Because America's going nuts right now. They're trying to figure it out. And people are attacking one another, trying to figure out where equilibrium is and what's right and what's wrong and what's understood and what's not. Are you asleep, Lord? Because your people need you. Lord, there's a personal tragedy in my life. I've got a sister who's struggling. How come you're not doing the God thing? How come it seems like you're so asleep, like you were with those silly disciples on the back of the boat? And then when Jesus wakes up, and this kind of freaks me out, there's no urgency. The language of the text, there's just no urgency. Kind of like when you woke up yesterday and you said, ah, Germany doesn't play until 11 o'clock, so I'll just kind of chill out. Go read the entertainment section of the paper this morning because church is at 9.30 and it's summer. There's going to be lots of sleep, seats and parking. It'll be fine. Ah. Jesus wakes up with zero urgency. You would think Jesus would have woken up with his hair on fire and he could have blamed him, right? You idiots! You are fishermen. You should know better. Why did you lead us out here? This is insane. We're going to die. Jesus doesn't give direction. Here's what you should do. Put the sail up a little ways, pull it tight, and we'll go into this little place where it'll all be fine. But Jesus has no urgency. Sometimes in our lives we feel that way. Lord, I got my hair on fire. I'm not sure where my job's going. They continue to automate the line, and every time they automate it, 50 people are laid off. So I'm not sure where I'm going to end up on this whole thing of work. And I've got a kid in college, and I've got a lot going on financially, and if I don't get this together, the waves of unemployment and the fear of financial disaster, and you have no urgency. Lord, I need a burning bush. I need something to make my life a little bit more directed. And that's a painful, painful place to be. But as Kathy read Job, there's something we need to be really aware of in that. Then the word, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I don't know about you, but I don't really want God to have to say that to me. You think you got this figured out. You think you're in charge of your own life. You think you got this all together. Because the moment you think you do, you are in deep trouble. If you think that I'm not on this ship with you, you figure it out for yourself, smart guy. And then he goes on to tell Job, I hung the stars. I, I put the planets in motion. I'm the one who figures out how each wave ebbs and flows and how far it goes up the beach. And you're going to presuppose to tell me how I should run the world. Good luck, Job. But that's exactly where we put ourselves. Why me? 
Why my kid? Why my life? Why does this sting for me? And why do you seem asleep, Lord? One of the hardest things in pastoral ministry is when someone loses someone in their family or a relationship in their family, just boom, a heart attack and the person's dead before they hit the ground, unexpected lawsuit or divorce papers, something where it's all going one direction and then the storm clouds come and it all just boom and it's gone. And then people get mad at God. You know, it's God's fault. God was asleep at the wheel. You know what, if God would have intervened in this, I know he has a plan, but his plan stinks and I don't like it. Really? Because good luck with that. You can be mad at God, he has broad shoulders. Matter of fact, God and dealing with anger with God may be the best place to put your anger rather than displacing it on the people in your family system. But if you're gonna estrange yourself from God in the middle of the storm, in essence, if you're gonna jump out of the boat, then you're going to hear this. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, that hits really close to home. If you think you're smarter than me, big boy, Reverend Klinkenberg, then by the way, just remember who hung the planets and humble yourself a little bit before the Lord in the midst of the storm. Two ways to go with this text now. And I'm going to go each way with that. The first thing is that in the text, Jesus wakes up, stands up, and says, quiet, be still. He gets up, looks around, listens to the disciples, and the first thing he does is calm the storm. And in that, he, he looks at the disciples and he says, I just want you to be very clear on what's going on here and, and the fact that I am God. Jesus is God. The disciples maybe didn't see it here, there, and everywhere, but now they look up and at the end of the text, it says they were terrified because he's the one who could even command the wind and rain. And if Jesus is God, then this is true as well. And I am not. And sometimes when we're in the boat and the wind and the waves are crashing and life seems to be going down for the last time, we need to be reminded that the one who calms the storm is right there in the boat with us. Now that's super hard. It's hard because the wind and the waves are so real. Now think of what the disciples had already been through. In the last couple weeks, we've been reading through Mark's gospel. So Jesus has been the one preaching the parables of the kingdom. Last Sunday, he, he came down. He said, hey, if you even have faith like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, then think about that because the kingdom works like that. It's super small and then it takes root and grows and it's insane. And birds and people and critters and life, it can all kind of grow around this one big tree that starts with this little bitty seed. And you would think the disciples would have went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's Jesus. He's, he's the Messiah. That's right. Or maybe when he healed the sick. When the paralytic came down through the ceiling, maybe they would have looked and said, well, only the Messiah could do that. Or maybe when he cast out the evil spirit, they would look and say, well, holy smokes, he preaches a mean sermon. He kind of did that healing thing with that guy. Everyone knew this dude was possessed with an evil spirit. Jesus is God. But sometimes you don't understand what you need and who God is until you're in the boat and it seems like the boat is going down and he calms the storm. 
Amen? Amen. He calms the storm. He doesn't get on him until after he's taken care of the immediate safety of his disciples. He wakes up. He knows exactly what he's doing. He uses few words, and he calms the storm. He calms the storms in our life, the storm of sorrows. In a church like ours, in a community as big as ours, there's people grieving all the time. There's never a Sunday when I can look out and say, there are every good pastor, you got everyone's got it all together, everyone's fine. Because even when you come into the life ship of the church, you remember and you think and you go back. He calms the storm of sorrow. He allows us to look back at the ones we've lost with through the eyes of the cross and the gospel. There's very few Sundays where I go by where I don't give someone a hug or a warm handshake and say, that must have been a tough one for you to hear today because of where we've been in the last week. But we look at that loss and the chaos, the waves and the wind of that through the cross, the death and the resurrection of the Son of God who calmed the storm of death by going through the gate of death and rising up to life eternal on the other side. He calms that storm. He calms the storms of doubt and tension in your life. Because He is God and we are not. And when we go through it and it feels like we're going to die in that boat, we need to be reminded constantly that our Lord is with us in the boat. It would have been bad if it was like out of some Star Trek episode and they said, and Jesus was transported out of the boat immediately and the disciples all went down and died. Here ends Mark's gospel. Doesn't work that way. Jesus is in the boat the whole time with the crew. And in your times of doubt and tension, he's in the boat with you. When you're struggling with your children, He's in the boat with you. When you're struggling with addictive behaviors, He's in the boat with you. When there's economic tension of where you're going to go and what you're going to do and how's it going to look, He's in the boat with you. He's not out to lunch. He's not ignoring it. He has the power to make a difference, to calm the storm. I'm reminded of that marvelous promise of God from Romans where he says, and remember that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You want to know a dirty little secret about that? If you ain't called according to the purpose of God, pagan world, then don't give me God's promise if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't connect, grow, and share. Don't throw my Bible words at me if you're not called of God. Because for the people of God, the promise is clear. And he calms the storms of anxiety that drive cowardice. What are you really afraid of? The disciples learned that day. There's, there's two words for fear in there, and the first one is being a chicken. So Jesus woke up, and he looked at the disciples, and he said, why are you being a bunch of chickens? Why are you being cowards? Why are you being afraid? Don't be afraid. We're a bunch of wimps. What's going on? 
big, tough, gnarly fishermen, babies. The word he uses there is for cowards. But the word that ends that text is a word that shows that in the calming of that storm, the disciples put their faith in Jesus. They feared him because he had the power over the wind and the sea. And when he calmed that sea, they were afraid in a whole different way. And the might of the wind and the might of the waves paled in comparison to the power of Jesus. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you have so little faith? And at the end of that text, they were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Sometimes you got to be in the boat the wind and the waves. And the wind and the waves look so gnarly and so big, so dangerous, so terminal, that, that we're afraid. But that kind of fear is nothing compared to the fear of the power of God and the awe and the power of the one who shapes the whole universe and certainly has your life under his marvelous care. They were afraid of the wind and the waves, to be sure, because they thought they were going to die. But after this event, they looked at Jesus in a whole different way. In our lives, when we're going through it, and if we were to poll every person, each one of you could say, here's where I went through it, here's where I went through it, here's where I went through it, each, each one of and maybe you're sitting there going, I hope he doesn't point at me because I'm going through it right now and, I, and I'm going to cry like a baby. When you're in the boat and the boat seems like it's going to sink, that's a different kind of fear than knowing the God of heaven and earth and his power is the power to save. To calm the storm that you're going through right now and to bring you safely to the other side of the lake of your life. So put your faith in Jesus like the disciples did. Believe in him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And trust in him that when the wind and the waves buffet the boat of your life, that he's awake appropriate urgency to bring calm and peace and his non-anxious presence to you. Amen? Let's pray. Behind every set of eyes, Lord, Behind every set of eyes today, there's a life that needs what you have. Some are really going through it right now. I know a couple. I know that you're in the boat with them. And I know that for older people who've been through more seasons of life, more storms, more waves, more wind, I, 
I know that their faith in their best sense, Lord, in the best sense, their, their fear and their awesome nature of your power and your grace provides them opportunity to go through bigger and badder storms. And for the younger people just figuring it out, I, I get that too. We've, we've been there. Steal them, buffet them, be with them, guide them, keep them, make them non-anxious and bold. Thank you for our church. For a little harbor inside of a chaotic world where we get to sing and pray and be together as brothers and sisters in Christ to, to hear your word and share some of the fears of life together. Thank you that instead of jumping out or looking at the disciples and swearing at them or something more human that you exercised your deity and you told the storm to keep quiet. Grant us in our lives to hear the calm of your voice and to find refuge in wearing the name Jesus. It's in that powerful name we pray. Amen.